The We're LCC podcast is a monthly show that comes out on the 9th of every month. But if you hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app, you'll never need to remember that because the show will automatically be there. So go ahead and hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app now. We are LCC, a podcast emanating from the halls of Lower Canada College on Royal Avenue in Montreal. Here's alumni officer Christine Jones. Today, we're happy to have Leslie Levinson with us, who has a long-standing personal relationship with LCC. As the mother of four alumni, the wife of an alum, and her late father-in-law, Martin Hardiman, worked at the school for over 30 years. The conversation today is about inclusion and acceptance in education and society. Leslie has taught at Montreal's Mackay Centre, a school that services students who are deaf, physically disabled, and or have a communication disorder for over 30 years. Thank you very much for joining us. We're very excited and honored to have you with us today. And so I'd like to just start by asking if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and and the McCoy Center and how you became involved. I started working there in 1989 and I've taught lots of different things at the school. I've done physical education. I've done grade one. I've done kindergarten. But since 1998, I've been teaching a class called Augmentative Communication. That really is my passion. I sort of just fell into it when someone came to the school and did a two-day workshop on Augmentative Communication and the type of students. And I just said, well, wow, this is what I want to work with. And these are students who have what we now call have complex communication needs. It used to be nonverbal students, but we refer to them now as complex communication needs. And it's just something that I've just loved doing. I've started the class with the help of people in rehab, and I've been doing this for a long time. The Mackay Centre School for students with physical disabilities and communication disabilities, language, and there is also a school for uh, children who are deaf. It's been around for a long time as well. And it services not just the population in Montreal. We have sort of a, a supra-regional mandate in that we have students that come from on-island and off-island to come to our school. For students that can't necessarily be educated in their local schools because they have too many therapeutic needs or rehab needs. So the school works in conjunction with the rehab services that are housed within our school. It provides like a caring and safe academic environment for children and young adults because we service the population from ages 4 to 21. They can stay at the Mackay Centre School. It offers service rehab services to optimize social participation, the autonomy of our students, and we work on mobility, we work on computer services, adaptive technology, and sort of physical assessment. So they get occupational therapy, speech therapy, physiotherapy with the hopes that would then be able to integrate them into their local schools. That's the goal for everything. It's not always possible. So that's why we can keep the students till they're 21. Okay. I can imagine there's not that many centers or schools, well, not just only on the island of Montreal that offer this kind of, these kinds of services. So is it hard for the students to get in? It is. I mean, we're a public institution. We're affiliated with the English Montreal School Board. There are other specialized schools that are called, they're private in the public interest. In order to get into Mackay, you have to have rehab needs. 
So they have to be referred from either the hospital or the pediatrician to the rehab center where they can start rehab as young as 18 months. And they have like a a zero to four program. And then at four, they can come to pre-K at Maccabi. Okay. Where there is a screening process where they come, they meet with the parents, they give them the options, they come, they visit the school, they visit a potential classroom to see if it is a, a good placement for it. Our mandate is mostly students with physical disabilities or language disabilities. We don't necessarily service students who have who are autistic or who have a greater developmental need. There are other schools within Montreal in the English sector that service those students. Okay. And I, I know um, you've had a very long-standing personal relationship with our school, LCC, as well as a very long-standing relationship with the Mackay Center. So can you tell us a little bit about those two relationships and then and the relationship between LCC and the Mackay Center? Through marriage, I have a very long-standing relationship with LCC. My husband, Scott, who graduated in 81, was at LCC. And my father-in-law, Martin Hardiman, worked at LCC from 1965 to the year 2000 as head of the science department. And then later he was assistant headmaster of academics. I have four students who went to LCC. Not students. I have four children. (laughs) Well, they were students also. (laughs) They were students. They weren't my students. I'm still in teacher mode. (laughs) I'm the mother of four LCC alumni. Blair Hardiman graduated in 2010. Josh Hardiman in 2013. Drew graduated in 2017 and for you in 2018. And rounding off the list was my daughter, Kirsten, who graduated in 2020 and for you 2021. Oh, that's great. With the LCC Mackay connection, two of my kids, uh, Blair and Kirsten, participated in a program we have at the Mackay Center called the Reverse Integration Program. But prior to that, LCC and Mackay used to team up a long, long time ago for Terry Fox. We used to come to LCC when we were at our old site on DeCarry and participate with the LCC students when they did their Terry Fox run. That was organized with myself and uh, Doug McLean, a former teacher at LCC. And we sort of kept up this this link through leaderships with LCC. Um, it started with Blair. When he was in grade 10, I take the students away to camp to give respite to the parents in November. And we started bringing LCC grade 10 and grade 11 LCC students to help us and just to help run activities. They came up with a teacher and we've been doing that. We That started in 20, 2008. So with the exception of some breaks with COVID, we've pretty much done that every November. Students have come up. And then other teachers at LCC had approached how can the younger students get involved, like with middle school. So when Kirsten was in middle school, through middle school leadership program, the students would come and help out when we have sort of big activities. When we had like our winter carnival, they would come and help out. And when we did like, uh, we have an I Love to Read week, they would come and help out. Um, most recently, it started this year, the middle school were helping out with our kindergarten classes that we're doing at eight-week skating program. They would come once a week and help skate with the students. And I've also sort of bringing our students to LCC. The senior leadership have helped out when we've gone on skating, come to LCC to do skating. And then just recently, we had a big endeavor where we brought the entire school to LCC to skate 
as part of our winter carnival. And I worked with Mr. P and uh, coordinated with the leadership and the grade 10 students to help all the students because a lot of our students hadn't had that experience of being on the ice, even the ones, the ones that aren't in wheelchairs, just it's not something with other rehab needs that the parents get around to. And so we wanted them to experience what skating was like. So wow. it was a wonderful activity. I think that's about all that I can think of. So, so programs like this, where there's, you know, a bridge is made between the Mackay Center students and students in another school are obviously important for many reasons. But uh, as a whole, what can we do as a society to be more inclusive and offer more accessibility to people with physical or developmental or intellectual disabilities? I, I sort of really reflected upon that and how I could answer that question. And so what I did was I went back and asked a former student of mine, as well as parents, what would they want? You know, what can we do? One of the things when they're talking about being more accessible is to think of it before as opposed to an afterthought. If we want to be inclusive, educate yourself, try to promote accessibility. Like places will always say, oh, we're accessible. Yes, but their idea of accessible and our idea of accessible aren't necessarily saying we're accessible, but you have a step to get in. Well, then you're not accessible. So some of the parents that has tried it, if you want to sort of be more inclusive and, and think of accessibility is try to spend time with someone who has a disability, trying to see it through their eyes, you know, push someone around in a wheelchair to see like the challenges that many places have and how limited access can really be. Not, not to be intimidated when you see somebody with a disability, like how I ask parents, like, how would you want someone to approach you or your child in the community? And they, most of them said they wanted to pe- just be very direct, come up to me, feel free to ask questions, you know, don't, don't stare, don't, you know, come up and talk to us, you know, it's okay to ask questions, it's okay to be curious about a disability. Most of the parents that I spoke with, the children's disability, are very open, and they would rather have someone come up to them and ask respectfully about their child as opposed to just staring or almost shaming their child for looking because children are naturally curious and I think they sort of felt it's okay if kids are taught that it's okay to ask questions without being rude then as adults we will be able to do the same thing and they find that it's more the adults that are are more worse at staring than they you know than the children like children have a natural curiosity and don't be afraid to as a parent to foster that. Right. And almost like children, they, they only know what they know. So they have this natural innocence. So yes, okay to be curious, but you're right. There's, I'm sure some adults out there that don't know how to react and react inappropriately. And obviously there's a big education piece for everybody in any sort of, you know, when we talk about like diversity and equity and inclusion across the board, but I find this is such an important piece because there's a stigma attached. And I really appreciate the fact that you say these parents are just, they're saying, just be honest and come up and and ask a question. And, you know, like you said, not to be rude about it. And so these situations like the reverse integration program um, at the Mackay Center School, can you talk to sort of why, I mean, we've we've touched a bit upon why it's important, but what do the students take away from the experience and how does it help with acceptance and education? And, and can you talk, sort of give us a little bit of an idea of how that program works so that our listeners can kind of understand what it is? So the reverse integration program is a program that's uh, 
I don't know if it's unique, but it's, as far as I know, it's unique to Mackay in that we bring in, it's sort of a reverse integration. Instead of trying to put a child with a disability into the local school, we take children from local schools and have them come and spend a year at Mackay at various grade levels. You know, it depends on what the classroom situation is. And sort of the purpose is it is to, if you have a couple of students come in and they spend a year with children with disabilities. They see what it's all about. When they go back into their community, they have a greater understanding of what it is and that they can then further pass on their knowledge to their friends when they meet people in the community, just so it's great for everyone to see what it's all about and not to be scared of someone with a disability. The other thing that is very beneficial too is we prioritize siblings because it's very common, like, if you have a child who isn't disabled, you're, as siblings, you all go to school, like, it's, it's, you want to go to the same school that your brother and sister go to, it happens at LCC, it happened with my children, but if you have a child with a disability, the siblings will, you, they may never go to the local school with their siblings, so we prioritize having their siblings come in, and I think that's really important, you're saying, well, these children are already sensitized to what it is to have a sibling with a disability, but they only see their like sibling. They don't sort of think outside the box. So I've had a few parents who I asked, you know, what, what it meant to them to have their siblings come. And one of the families says that it was just a phenomenal experience that even though they had a, a child with like a brother with a disability, it sort of still opened up their eyes. Like they only knew about their brother and his limitations. It sort of also gave them a better understanding of their brother's world. And education can only go as far in helping sort of people without disabilities understand the world that people with disabilities live in. I spoke with one of my students and what it meant for him, you know. He said it helped him in that it sort of broke down the barriers and the stigma. He said people that were reverse integration students when he was a student there are still like his friends today. He sort of said when we're thinking about going back sorry, to accessibility, it should be something that you think of at the start of something as opposed to an afterthought. Sometimes you have people that from your own community because we we are a school with an NDG, so that we have students that live with an NDG. The feeder schools are often from NDG, so it could be a neighbor. You know, we've had students like one of the students in my class. His neighbor came to the reverse integration program. She's now a student at LCC. She's come back to volunteer as part of middle school leadership. My two kids that were Blair and Kirsten that were part of the reverse integration program, for them it fueled like a passion. You know, Blair started off with going to the camps and Kirsten has since sort of started the middle school leadership with Mr. Maurice to get things going. And now she is now the day the director of the day camp at Camp Massawippi. Like, you know, it but it started with that connection with that education. And I think it's just it's just wonderful for parents to know that they're sending their child to a school where they're gonna get at, at reverse integration. You do get you have the smaller class sizes, you have you make that sacrifice of they're not going to have the same social interactions that they have at a regular school for one year, but they are going to be benefiting like overall. 
Oh, yeah. And taking away so much more, you know, in our previous conversations, I've told you my sister was a student at the Mackay Center for years. I don't know if the reverse integration program was around at that time, but I I would have loved to have done that because in later years in programs that she went on to, when I finally met other families, I only have one sister. So this was my normal. And, you know, I'm saying, quote unquote, normal. And then you meet other families and other children or teenagers or, you know, as you, as you get older who have siblings in similar situations and you say, okay, wow, well, I'm not, I'm not the only one or our family isn't the only one in this situation. And it's so, I find it so important for, for the, that sibling component and for families to, to have other families to lean on in that respect. Yeah. I don't know. I don't remember off the top of my head when the reverse integration program started, but I remember being in elementary school and getting the application and kind of blowing it off. And now I like, I wish I had done it. Yeah. You know, although I would have, I would have wound up being in teaching some of the students. That I, I know. To Me too. With, but, I know. Uh, I think it's so, I think it's so amazing. And it's, you, you just wish there was more things like this out there because, you know, I guess it kind of goes into my next questions. Like how can we build more bridges and remove stigmas to further connect um, people with disabilities to society so that they can, so that they can thrive. I'm going back into when we're talking about accessibility. And I think one of the sort of a big way to get rid of the stigmas and have them more inclusive is through recreation. It's something that everybody needs and it's, it doesn't have to be competitive sports or anything like that. But including just as a more inclusive society, when you're talking about neighborhood parks and things like that, those are that is something where they're like going to a park is a very social interaction. You know, it builds social interactions, it's children playing, that kind of stuff. But there are very few parks that take into consideration they can improve the parks, everyone's redoing the parks, but you've got to sort of try to think how can you make it adapted for kids with sort of physical limitations you know they they're doing more improvements of like sensory and things like that but when you're trying to get a wheelchair around and that will sort of feed into if if the parks are more accessible then there will be more people going there and then you'll have the opportunities for education to, you know and modeling and showing kids that it's okay everyone can play you know, everyone deserves a right to be able to play. Everybody uh, can do certain activities. That I think is probably one key way of doing it. Right. Just getting getting people involved in sort of normal aspects of life and society in our community, day-to-day stuff. Being out there. The fact is that we're all out there. We make the parks kind of accessible for strollers and things like that, but there's nothing that they can do. And they, they do make that kind of equipment. They make kind of merry-go-rounds that you could wheel a stroller or a wheelchair on. They make the adapted swings. They can enjoy leisure by themselves on a swing, but also be able to interact and enjoy leisure with students who aren't disabled, like on a merry-go-round or things like that. I think that's really key that would sort of really help. I think another important topic in all kinds of areas, but is, is the, what kind of language and terminology should we be using? And we, we said before, um, you know, things like this are changing all the time. Like what, what words are acceptable? What words are not acceptable? Obviously we know a a lot of the words from back in the, you know, forties, fifties, 1960s are no longer acceptable at all. So, but can you, can you tell us a little bit about 
acceptable language? Like what do, what do your current students, what do your current families, what do, what language do they want people to use? What, what is okay now and what is not okay? So I guess when we talked about this and I, I really thought about it, I think a handicapped person, it's a person with a disability, you know? So it's not, they're a person like first, you know, or they're a child, like, and this is just a part of that that happens. One of my former students who has gone on to do wonderful things, um, you know, graduated from high school, graduated from Sejap, started his own business, has like a, a website and a business that's about, it's called All Access Life. It's all about accessibility and things like that. And so I asked him, you know, and he said for him, it wasn't so much the language, but it was the intent with what they were saying. He says, you know, people who are older are more comfortable with less popular terms like crippled, which we would never use anymore, but they aren't necessarily using it to be rude or malicious, you know? They just don't know. He says, we shouldn't be up so hung up about the language because that may make people more afraid of talking with the person with the disability. It's the best way to go about it is to ask the person with a disability what is the best term for them to use. I'd also ask another mother who works in a school and she said she was having a conversation with two grade six students about this topic and they both used the word cripple to describe someone that was disability. It's not something that comes up often. So for her, she used it as a teachable moment, like, you know, making them realize like it's okay to make a mistake and use the wrong term as a society or as people who, who may work with students with disabilities, like the terminology has changed so much in my sort of experience working with students. Something always is coming up that's maybe a little more respectful, that's a little more inclusive, that doesn't sort of judgmental and doesn't categorize somebody. But, you know, it's, it's okay right. to ask and to see. Right. It actually seems like the sort of underlying message in terms of, the, you know, the families and students you've spoken with is for people just not to be afraid and just to you know, it's okay to be curious, but ask, don't do the whispering and don't make assumptions, just be open about it. Absolutely. You know, and people may not even realize it. They, they may think, oh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to bother them. I don't want to approach them. They've got it. They're dealing with enough as it is. You may feel sorry for the people like, you know, it's, those are all common sort of reactions, but the families I work with are dealing with this all the time. They're, they're used to it. They've made as much as they can their peace with it. But I think that they would rather that you come up to them and make them feel part, like they are part of our society. Their children are part of society and we should try what we can as much as we can to include them. And part of that is coming up, talking to them asking, being curious, you know, even saying hi, like students love it. It's like they're very social. Yeah. They're very social individuals. Yeah, that's true. Very true. So I did want to go back and um, touch on the, when you sort of had your inspiration or epiphany in your career and you came back out in 98 and created the class for students with the complex communication needs. So I believe it's called augmentative and alternative communication. Can you just tell us a bit about what those classes are and how does it help the students? Is it for very specific disabilities? Augmentative and alternative communication. So that means either you're augmenting their communication because they need to do more or you're finding an alternative means because 
talking is not the way that they can communicate. Some students, if they have the hand skills, they work on sign language, not necessarily because they have a hearing impairment or they're deaf, but it's a way to begin communication with a child. And even even with newborns, people are doing sign language, teaching them sign language for their basic needs to realize the communication. Because our, my students are nonverbal, so they, they can't use uh, talking as their primary means of communication. What I teach them, what this class does, is we work with a lot of technology. Now, when I started in 98, uh, the technology wasn't there. It was all uh, like picture symbols. And the symbol rep- uh, represented an action. So we taught them that by touching the symbol, by looking at a symbol, you're communicating and that has meaning. So if you look or point to a picture of an arrow that says go, that means you want to go somewhere. So it started off very basic, very basic like that, teaching them that the symbols that they're requesting has meaning. Now we've come, technology is unbelievable. All my students in my classroom have voice output devices. So so the machine talks for them. It's fancy computers that talk to them through various communication apps and they use whatever part of their body they can to access those. So three of my students use their eyes. So it's, it's, uh, quite, it's quite impressive and it's really like how they learn to do this is just amazing when you think about it. So they know that they look at a certain square, like we have, they have a communication uh, app with words, with pictures, with a variety of things. And they look at that square for long enough, it selects it and it speaks for them. Wow, that's unbelievable. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's pretty powerful, and and that's how we teach them. That's how they learn how to communicate. That's how they learn the alphabet. They do math. They're learning to read. They're learning. You know, it's it's uh, it's their voice. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I just I just find it fascinating the work that you've done for the school and then how there's a ripple effect into the greater community. It's, it's invaluable. It's meaningful. And, um, I guess as we come to a close, is there anything else you'd like to share with us about what you do? I guess the two things I like to share. So I mean, hopefully, I mean, you, you would do these podcasts so that people can speak about their passion. And I think in life and in general, like if you can, foster a passion and translate it into even it doesn't necessarily have to be into like a job or something like that, but society as a whole gains from people who are passionate, who are willing to impart their knowledge or willing to share and stuff like that. And the other thing is that I would like to thank LCC because LCC has been very instrumental in supporting the Mackay center with coming to help. Like it's, I guess everyone needs their volunteer hours, but the students that come and volunteer come back. There are several students at LCC now who are working at the day camp who still come back and volunteer. There are students who have done the reverse integration program, go to LCC and open it up into a bigger field. And those are the students and those are the future leaders that are going to fight for inclusion, fight for accessibility. And so I'm, I'm very grateful for the support over the years that I've received from LCC. Whenever I've approached them or they've approached me, we've been able to work something out to sort of keep that uh, relationship going. I, I think it goes both ways. So that uh, was all very well said. And thank you so much again for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to We Are LCC. 
For more, go to lcc.ca slash podcast. And remember to hit subscribe or follow on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. I'm Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.